Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at Camp Islands.com. The Bulls Today proudly presents The Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. One part of the Harbaugh Michigan story has not gotten nearly enough attention. Maybe the most important part just to remind everybody about what we're doing here. Chuck Oliver show on the Thursday. What we're doing here is talking college football. Do it every single day. Did not do it yesterday. Uh, I've got a budding situation, creeping crud. You know what it is. It's that time of year. I was told dry, cold air, and it makes it even worse to somebody whose moneymaker is his, what, my trachea? So I'm back, and everything's good. I appreciate Heath and David doing what they do. When I say one part of the Harbaugh Michigan story, <laughs> Hasn't gotten nearly enough to Jack, there's there's some part of the Harbaugh Michigan story that hasn't gotten enough attention. It's all I've been paying attention to for two months. Except the most important part. If Big Blue wins Monday night, I believe they will, but I thought Alabama would win. If Big Blue wins in Houston Monday night, very well could be one of the best individual season teams in college football history. And regardless of the outcome, this year's Michigan team will not get earned credit. Now, at the top of the page, I don't know, is is flexing games, is that a college thing? Can we flex this game to Pasadena? Like, shouldn't it be there? But it's in Houston. That's fine. We've covered that. Um Michigan could put a USC-Oklahoma thing up. And I want to say in 04, my goodness, what was that, like 56 to 19 maybe? Uh, they could put up a huge number and just run away and hide, and they would have done it over an undefeated team. There was a Power 5 conference champ that won a neutral site-ish semifinal game. And by a combination of great players and some pretty dang good X's and O's. I mean, my Washington team's complete, man. And if there is, I'm going to spin the two wheels of a final score blowout. It's, let's say it's a Michigan-style blowout because they're not, I don't know, uh, 38-14. Put a number on, take care of them. Then, like the final half of football, you realize it still is only 13 points, 20 points, 24 points, but we know how this is going to end. We just need to wind the clock some. Regardless of that outcome, this season's individual Michigan team will not get the earned credit. Now, the on-target point regarding Michigan's schedule that we were making on November 10th it's no longer on target. November 10th was the day before the Penn State game when Jim Harbaugh, the head coach, was suspended, which I don't know. It's kind of a thing to me. 
the point we were making that was on target, middle of the bullseye, surrounded on all sides by red on November 10th. Folks, it's no longer on target. Dig, if you will, the picture. If the final – now, I'm saying Michigan wins Monday night. Take your own straw poll right now. It just was 1-0 when I took a straw poll. If Michigan wins Monday night, if the final six games on your schedule, the final six games, like, I don't know, that's basically half close. If the final six games on your schedule are eight-win Maryland, number 10, number 2, number 16, number 4, and number 2, and you go 6-0 and versus that, do you really have a schedule wasn't good enough, who do you play issue? I don't believe you do. And, again, the eight-win Maryland team weren't bad. They weren't supposed to challenge you, and it was sort of a ball game. It was on the road in November in the conference. I don't know. NFL quarterback, aggressive coach, stuff happens, and so you still beat them. And this team's extended metrics, the efficiency ratings, et cetera, off the charts. And because we don't like the coach, because there was cheating going on. There was. And we don't like the coach. We've decided that a a shameful September 2nd, 9th, and 16th, a shameful September 2nd, 9th, and 16th means your schedule that we were looking at halfway through September and making a judgment about the entire thing, well, by golly, Beginning of January, that opinion holds. Excuse me? What happened to the month following September 16th, and then the month following that, and then the month following that, and then the two and a half weeks of bowls? Like, what happened to the three and a half months since September 16th? Oh, no, 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 no. We decided what that schedule was. And on September 16th, we looked at the fact that you played East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green, and your schedule was so bad you get no credit for anything no matter what you do going forward, including how you wrapped up. If you care, East Carolina was hard. They look like they didn't practice some Saturdays. And I watched them just because I like a lot of the people there. Being, it's, it's a it's fun environment. It really is a good program. It was not reflected, and it just was not good. Uh, and so they're bad as advertised. But it was the entire non-conference thing because we could back it up with it. And then look who they opened with last year. And it was equally not good. So East Carolina was just horrid. Everybody's got one. Some call it East Carolina. Some call it Citadel. Some call it you know, whoever. You schedule somebody. You buy a home game. And then it's then your team has to go out and execute. And it's a win. And it's supposed to be always unless, I don't know, you're Houston coming off the Kevin Sumlin Case Keenum thing and you lose that home to Texas State. Other than that, App State doesn't count. They might have been coming off a national championship or maybe playing for one later that year. In almost every case, when you buy a home game with Tulsa, you win by a whole bunch. And that's what happened. Do you know what happened the next two weeks? Yeah, they, they ran it up on who were those other two? Yeah, they ran it up on nine-win UNLV for whatever you care about that. And I seven win bowl game, bowling green. As in, they weren't just speed bumps.
it was a competitive unit on their normal stage, and Ann Arbor ain't it. So UNLV, again, for whatever you care, they go, they win nine ball games. They go up there, and they can't scratch. And it's one of those boa constrictor games. A, a team that lighting it up on offense to the point that, who's their OC? Maybe can we, does our school want him? Seven. Because Michigan wasn't just winning. Michigan was posting historical all-time numbers. Bowling Green scored six. And then they got into conference, and they weren't playing very good teams. And so, well, it's Rutgers and Nebraska, and they only scored seven apiece. But, you know, they're not very good. I don't know. Penn State's pretty good. They got 15 at home. Ohio State's got NFL players lined up waiting to get on the field. 24 and never looked right. Iowa, for whatever you say, Iowa scored against some teams. Didn't score against this one. Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow reacted like a guy who's a really great athlete and can hum the ball pretty deep. He's not a great quarterback. He's a guy who can make some huge plays, and he's got a big arm, and he's this big, giant kid who can run the uh, third fastest kid on the roster, some ranking like that, at that size. It's not supposed to come, you know, packaged in that model, and it is at that speed. And he looked, he immediately got turned into someone who really hasn't played a whole lot of quarterback, and how will he react if we pressure him? Oh, he'll take his eyes off the coverage, which... I don't know, pick who's the most accurate quarterback in, like, was it Bo Nix this year? Was he the most accurate quarterback? Um, might have been second. Whoever most accurate quarterback is. In, take your eyes off the coverage, it's over. It's done. You can look up, and, like, all 14 defenders are in different places. Jalen Milrow the other night. <laughs> Michigan, like, the play may take another four or five seconds to work itself out. It was over. They did that against an Alabama team that had just figured out Georgia enough and had gone into Jordan-Hare and figured out a salty defense in that environment, emotion, everything else, figured it out enough. And since, honestly, the South Florida game, they'd kind of made a habit of figuring things out enough. Then against Michigan, do you know what I'm not telling you about? This exotic front that mentor that jesse mentor came up with or this blitz off the corner and they rolled the cover but tell you anything about that i didn't see a lot of generational x's and o's coming out of michigan i saw a michigan team you know what it looked like to me michigan looked at film and then kind of looked at each other nobody wanted to say it for a minute until somebody was like they can't block us i bet you they can't block us somebody finally said that and then they watch more film and they're like all right somebody go to coach overall They can't block us. I bet you if we keep this as simple as possible, if you look at these two units the entire season, if you get post-South Florida, and there were games being played by Coach Saban there, and I don't mean in any sort of underhanded way, like demoting Jalen Milrow to third and then playing those two guys, that was to motivate him, to show him, like, because the players always know. The players know who's better. And to say, Milrow, you're going to stand and watch those two? How will you respond to coaching? That's what that was. After week three in Tampa, if you look at Michigan and Alabama, both of those teams, 
the only position group that performed below, I'll say borderline great, at least very, very good. And in the SEC, like the Alabama receiver crew, that very, very good passes for me. The only position group on either one of those teams, linebackers, kicking game, secondary, whoever, the only one, the Alabama offensive line, Michigan decided to let's make this game about the Alabama offensive line. It was the only unit all season long that had any sort of issues, and they're in a semifinal game, and Michigan said, let's make this game about that. I bet we can, and they were right. So I don't think whatever happens on Monday, and I do believe they beat Washington, I don't think whatever the final score is, Michigan is going to get anywhere near the historical credit. Like, we couldn't get enough of 2019 LSU. Oh, no, it's 2020 Alabama, and that's on the heels of, a, what, Clemson going 15-0 and with a true freshman and starting quarterback. Um, we have been really impressed with some teams local, uh, recently. Nah, not going to be Michigan this year. Going to be ready for the season to be over. Now, let's, let's move on to something that's a lot more real than whatever they were doing up there. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, really jump into it next on this Thursday. of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Nine states, 66, Dealing on college football. Two hours a day, been doing since the beginning of the 14th season. Appreciate the blessing. Our, our evaluative compass regarding Lane Kiffin is all over the place. I think most of us really love Lane Kiffin. If you're not a Mississippi State fan, well, I think most of us love Lane Kiffin, and he's kind of like Ron Zook. Um, he's just better to have around. You know, like Chuck Amato was just better to have around. Ron Zook better to have around. But we are so quick to point out, but he doesn't beat good teams. I don't know. Like, Johnny Vaught is kind of a national champion at Ole Miss a couple times. And he never won 11 games. Never won 10 in a regular season. Lane's done it. So, somehow he's winning more than anybody ever has, but he doesn't beat anybody good. That's what we decide about a guy that we like. Uh, I want to welcome on right now. Uh, we're going to talk big picture, media, and all of that stuff. Inside the Rebels.com. It's 247 thing. Brad Logan, how you doing on this Thursday? Good morning, Chuck. It's good to see you in the press box of the uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And, and I think that's a pretty big win for Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin, a really good Penn State team. They didn't have just a ton of opt-outs. But, uh, you know, one thing to, to follow up on that comment, Chuck, is uh, Lane Kiffin's a couple of wins of being the uh, percentage-wise of winning his coach in Ole Miss history. So one more year should get him ahead of that coach you referenced earlier, Johnny Vaughn. Wow, that is high cotton, man. Um, well, let's talk about the state of the program because I'm sure you've heard that, and I'm, I know I'm, you know the numbers back it up. Maybe it's road victories against ranked opponents or SEC, whatever it is, but he doesn't beat anybody good. Uh, tell me where you evaluate this program right now because, no, they didn't win in Tuscaloosa this year, but they have done a whole lot of winning. Um, I think that in a 12-team era that they're a national player. I believe it. 
I think going into next year, we've already seen kind of the early, you know, top 12 teams that should play for the playoff. But, you know, the question is, is, is Ole Miss hasn't beat anyone good. Well, if you consider Alabama and Georgia the uh, the linchpins of the, the SEC, then sure, they, they, they haven't beat the two preeminent programs, but they beat pretty much everyone else. Uh, haven't had a chance to play Missouri. Missouri's hit the portal pretty hard. They'll be a player next year under Elijah Drinkwitz after they beat Ohio State the past uh, couple of weeks. So I think Ole Miss is in great position for next year. I think Lane Kiffin has turned the uh, Ole Miss program on its head. And what he's done from a transfer portal from a couple of years ago to the top transfer portal class this year with some of the best players on paper, Chuck, that's ever worn the red and blue in the history of the program is going to take the field on twenty in twenty twenty four. Notice I said on paper. Yeah. You have to play the games on the field and the schedule works out well for Ole Miss. You don't get Alabama. You don't get Auburn. You do get Georgia, but you get them at home. You get uh I believe it's Oklahoma at home and then you have to go on the road against L S U in a non-conference schedule that's not that bad. And I think it's the year, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you circle 24, all the chips have been put in. And we talk all the time about a administration, uh, a growth collective that kind of oversees the finances of this new NIL world. You've got a fan base, you've got a coaching staff, all pulling together. And, and we've talked about the portal, Chuck, but I think the way this staff has recruited the current roster and the playing, the players coming back, we just saw the other day that the Jackson Dart, the quarterback, is definitely coming back for one more season in 24. All the, re- the receivers are coming back, with the exception of Peyton Wade, and uh, a defense has already kind of seen the portal, you know, kind of push into this defense. All of the, the, the defensive players that have eligibility are coming back. Ole Miss is really putting everything half into the 24 season. I want you to bone throw because I did it the other day. Uh, if you're as impressed as I was, uh, big giant Trey Harris uh, not only announced he's going to return, but then he went out and I was told, but I mentioned this on the air, I was told before kickoff that Trey Harris is very motivated to have a good game. Um, and in today's reality, we're all adults. I was like, I don't care why you're motivated. Um, whether it's name, image, likeness, or getting signed by an agent or whatever. And he went out and he blew up Penn State. Um, talk about him and Priest Corn and the prospects for that yeah. passing game next year because it's unusual to have that much returning talent. It is. And, and I asked uh, Caden Priest Corn also asked two questions to Lane and to Priest Corn in the press conference. Number one, what happened? Was this a game plan situation where Caden Priest Corn had 10 catches, a couple of touchdowns, had that one touchdown, Chuck, you remember? Uh, the, the Pac-12 officials blew it dead when it was an offside, and it was going to be another touchdown for right. Miss. So I asked Lane, was this a game-planning situation? And he quickly cut me off and said, hey, look, Brad, don't don't give Caden any type of incentive because now I'm going to have to throw it to him 10 times or he's going to enter the NFL draft. I'm like, well, is he going to the draft? And, you know, everything we've heard is that Caden Prescorn will be coming back next year. He is a talented transfer line, uh, tight end out of Memphis. And we asked Jackson Dart in the breakout opportunity, what what was the situation going on? He says, well, Caden Prescorn was as healthy as he's been all year. If you'll remember earlier on this year, he broke one of his toes, and he wasn't able to go until the middle part of the year. Well, he had a whole month to get that toe repaired, and now he uh, was in 100%, and, and he was pretty much unstoppable. Trey Harris, Chuck, he has absolutely been the go-to receiver all year. He's made one-handed catches. 
with, with his right hand, one-handed catches with his left hand. He's been unstoppable. That's the one player, Chuck, I was very surprised to see that he was coming back. That just goes to show you how well Walker Jones and the Ole Miss Grove Collective have done in the NIL space and securing talent both on the roster and external talent, bringing them into the roster. So he was a big-time player. Ole Miss has a lot of steam going into that 24 season, and uh, I think they've got a lot of eyes to the, to the college football world looking on them, how well they played in the Peach Bowl. That's definitely two players that played well. Wrapping up, Brad Logan, Inside the Rebels. That's 247. Also, Believe in Ole Miss podcast host. Uh, all right, just a quick word. we got about a minute left. The Ole Miss fan base, boy, it was hotty-totty. They had a good time. Um, yeah. How sustainable is the – you mentioned the collective there. How sustainable season to season will this fan base, the commerce, in-state, et cetera, be able to sustain this name, yeah. image, likeness effort? Well, Lane Kiffin is pushing a lot of this. It's no surprise. I mean, he is a, a figurehead that's done a phenomenal job as head coach at Ole Miss. In fact, when he was at Florida Atlantic, I had a little baggage with him, but but uh, athletic director Keith Carter uh, made the decision to bring him in, and it was a big one. And, and Lane has said that he needed Oxford more than Oxford needed him. I don't know that that's true, but that's what he said. Right now, everything that we've heard from the Grove Collective, they're very, very – uh, affluent when it comes to, to finances, and this appears to be a situation where Ole Miss is all in with this football program. And from everything that I've seen and everyone that I've spoken with, this could be a long process for Ole Miss if Lane Kiffin hangs around. If you had asked me two years ago or, or three years ago when he was hired, four years ago, I would have never dreamed he would be here this long. But it appeared with his daughter in school at Ole Miss, yep. and as much as he's becoming, as much as he can, a part of that Oxford community, he's done a good job. Looks like it's a it's long success for Ole Miss. Brad Logan, thank you for your time, friend. Thanks, Chuck. All right, Brad Logan, C-O-T-E. All right, that's what you're going to find him on Twitter. Also, InsideTheRebels.com. Again, that's 247 Sports and Believe in Ole Miss podcast. I'm going to give him full credit because, man, when it comes to Ole Miss, he knows what he's saying. Uh, and he looks a little bit comfortable there, doesn't he? Doesn't Lane look a little bit comfortable? Like Dion said, he's about to get comfortable. Doesn't Lane look more comfortable in Oxford than maybe he has at any other college locale at least? Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville Lanier Islands.com. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. It's always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Thursday on the Chuck Oliver Show, and we roll along talking college football. That's what we do every single day. 
Headlines coming out of Como and the good kind. People getting broke off. One of them's official. I'm wondering if another one's coming. Want to welcome on right now. Repeat visitor to the program. Great source of information when it comes to Missouri football. Gerard Hamilton from PowerMizzou.com. It's a rivals thing. Gerard, how's your thirsty? Doing all right, Chuck. How about you? Oh, nothing but blessed. Uh, Eli got a new deal. Talk about his paper. Talk about his new 15th and 30th. Yeah, um, so that's a two years in a row with a contract extension. Um, right now, I'm on the I'm on the run right now, so I don't know. I don't think the details of the contract have yet been released because they weren't as of last night. But I mean, 11 and two seasons, the recruiting went well for them. Got a ton of momentum with the program, so it was kind of something we were expecting. Kind of, you know, halfway point in the season, you're kind of thinking I like, probably get another one. Hello, you there? I'm listening to you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That was it. Okay, well, what about Blake Baker on the other side of the ball? Uh, word around the campfire is LSU maybe playing footsie with a D.C.? Yeah, so now that one, to be honest, wasn't like really a blindside one as far as like LSU, uh, you know, his, you know, maybe interest, mutual interest between the two. Um, he's, I want to say he's from the Houston area. He went, he, he went to Tulane. His wife played uh she she played she was a student athlete at LSU, so there's some things connecting the dots uh, for that job. But obviously, things kind of got a little things get a little weird when he just signed the contract extension maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago. And you know, I asked him a question there, you know, leading up to the Cotton Bowl. You know, why did he sign that extension, knowing that his name was you know kind of aligned with some other name or some other schools? The first thing he told me was, you know. Columbia, you know, that's what made him happy. That's what makes his family happy. Um, and that very well may be, be true, but, you know, some other things, you know, can pop up. Again, LSU's closer to home. And he coached there, you know, a few seasons ago, you know, recently. So uh, there's, some, there's some things going on. I think there's some talks going on now. We don't know. Uh, what the, I guess, maybe the buyout would be, because, again, um, I can't think of the name right now, but the, we put in FOI requests to try to get uh, to get those contract details, and they've been closed uh, since the day they actually, uh, him and Kirby signed their contract extension, so we don't know what the buyouts would be if LSU was able to get them. But, um, I mean, if, if that's the case, then it, it seems like, you know, Drink would have to be looking for a new D.C., although if that was the case, then I think maybe linebackers coach D.J. Smith would just get the promotion at that point. Last thing I want to ask you about, uh, the overall feel around the program for the recruits that are available because, I don't know, St. Louis, that's not nothing. Uh, access to Texas and Oklahoma and some of the other states, that's not nothing. It's important to recruit high schools. Uh, where was the profile? Uh, Might have been a little late in this year's cycle because so many kids commit and want to sign early anyway to take advantage of the season. But where are they overall? Are you saying where are they overall as far as 
not not ranking specifically, but as far as profile, like are they going into the same places that Oklahoma and Texas and LSU, the same programs in the region going, and are they swinging, or is it still just Missouri and then we'll try to dot other places outside our, our state? Well, I think the first thing and main important thing is definitely to you know, swoop the in-state kids, definitely get that St. Louis and Kansas City area because um, obviously there's plenty of talent in those areas. And, you know, it hasn't always been, you know, 100%. It's not always a given just because they're Missouri that the St. Louis or, you know, the Kansas City kids are going to come there. So they, they want to get back, you know, dominating that, those areas. Um, they are dipping, you know, dipping around in some some different places. But, you know, they got the three Florida kids from STA, uh, you know, this year. They got a, a Cameron Keys, another Florida guy that was – we're doing some good work in Florida. I, feel, I forgot what the uh, what it was, but it's been a few years since they got as many recruits in Florida. So they are starting to around a lot more in, the, in this, you know, in this I guess SEC region, more to say, and that's that's the thing. But they're definitely trying to make sure they they tackle the the home state kids first because there's a lot of talent there, and I mean it kind of starts it starts there. Gerard, appreciate the input and expertise, brother. Thank you so much, friend. Appreciate you. Gerard Hamilton, Power Mizzou. So it matters, especially when you got at least a couple of hubs there. I mean, St. Louis, is it New Orleans or Houston or Belle Glade? Uh, well, probably not. It's pretty good. Um, he mentioned Kansas City there and then also access to Texas and some of the other areas you want to recruit. It matters, the high school, because if you are a program – the ilk of Alabama or Georgia, Ohio State, you're still, re- and even in the age of name, image, likeness, your depth takes a hit after you get the kids there. You're recruiting the same level of incoming freshmen. You absolutely are. Um, and then you wind up with an injury or a transfer just because the kid doesn't like, you know, sit in the bench and then come November or December, you don't have as much depth and it affects you there. When you're Missouri, it's not that. When you're Missouri, you've always been, I don't want to say working the margins, that's not it, been working the fringe of it, for instance, the last 10 or 11 years, is this really an SEC caliber player? Is he a game wrecker? If he's Doriel Green Beckham and he's the one five-star, the one five-star in state this year, then, yeah, he's a game wrecker. But what do we normally get at Missouri? A guy who's more of a fringe guy. You know what Michael Sam was, in addition to SEC Defensive Player of the Year? He's a three-star recruit. Kind of an undersized kid that didn't run real fast and wasn't overly athletic. Yeah, I think that's why Michael Sam didn't make the NFL. He can play special teams. No, you got to be athletic to play special teams, and it really wasn't. And Michael Sam was a really smart, tough kid who would outwork you. And on Saturdays against, I don't know, a 20-year-old accounting major, that works. Against a 29-year-old who's been in the NFL for eight years? No. Michael Sam, I, th- I believe, was a three-star recruit. And they had Coney Ely, and they had, they had uh, what, Ray and Gold. They had four NFL pass rushers on that team. And they were good enough recruits, and they turned into SEC Defensive Player of the Year. So that is sort of the life they had li- led. They had a like they would have a quarterback who the NFL would say, "Do you want to play another position?" That was normal for them. And Eli is trying to raise that a little bit. So, and 
the age of name, image, likeness, it actually is a big advantage to have already been operating sort of in that realm. And then if you do add, again, Dot the Kid from Florida, as Gerard brought up, um, certainly Texas, where they've made, they, they've made business there before. Chase Daniel from Texas, Dallas area. Any one of those quarterbacks at that place. And then the occasional five-star, which you have to say is the occasional. You know what they're, they're more likely to do? Have a kid show up on his own, kind of, from 1AA, or was it even Division IX? No, 1AA had to be. And then Cody Schrader leads the SEC in rushing. That's more a Missouri thing. What does Alabama do? Alabama goes to Florida, gets the number one player in the state. He has five stars. His name is Derrick Henry, and then he wins the Heisman Trophy. That's what Alabama does. Missouri does not do that. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and we will wrap up this hour one next. The Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Thursday on Chuck Oliver Show. And there is the matter of motivation. And I'll just give you an opportunity right now for a program that may be motivated now. If we can DeLorean back a year ago, Jaden Rashado was a big giant recruit and he's going to Florida and then he's not going to Florida because the name image likeness money wasn't there. And you're thinking, all right, well, now Florida's motivated. There was any big-time program in college football that is motivated to get its name, image, likeness house in order. It's Florida. Um, I, I'm sure there are a lot of reasons that ETN went to the portal and then chose Georgia. It, it may be, you know what, winning, like, it's a lot more fun than losing. Uh, that's That could be it could be i want to run behind an offensive line that's better than this one uh i want to show out i have one more season and i want it to be a great one maybe it was hardware hadn't run about a lot of that in gainesville um but it could be that well the name image likeness money it wasn't there for you it was there for dj lagway it was there for that recruit that we didn't let auburn get at the end it was there for graham merch to return the money wasn't there also for you. We were prepared to take a hit. We knew it would be somebody. We hoped it wouldn't you. And then Scooby was like, yeah, I'm out too. And then the corner's like, yeah, I'm out too. There's a lot of reasons kids transfer. Sometimes today the reason is because there ain't name, name is likeness money for me. If you're a Gators fan, maybe, maybe you're motivated now. Maybe your financial situation hasn't changed over the last two weeks, but maybe you're motivated now because now it's real. I think ETN jumped in about a month ago. It's like right after the SEC title game. It's that Monday, I think. And the portal's open. I'm in. Then he announced he's going to Georgia. Maybe any Florida player who is now a former Florida player because he has jumped in the portal, maybe any Florida player who his move was related to name, image, likeness, and lack of. Maybe Florida gets motivated by news that came out, I don't know, like 10 minutes ago. Quinshawn Jenkins is in the portal. It'll happen sometimes. There's weird things in the NFL. Do you know, like, the Tennessee Titans, that 
there's a re like when the Houston Texans came to be, a lot of folks were, why don't you just be the Oilers? Well, because the Tennessee Titans took the trademark and the color and the records. Like if you look at Tennessee Titans single season rushing leaders, you'll see Earl Campbell's name there because it's the same thing. Baltimore, when they left Cleveland, the NFL and Cleveland's like, you don't get the team or the records or anything. If there's ever another Cleveland, so it's separate. And so that's just weirdness that came as a result of the same thing happening in both cities. Do you know who got motivated? People in Houston who looked at the Titans' ownership, and by the way, owners get their credit or blame as well, and there's always 50 levels of story. But at some point, in a lot of these cases, you'll see an NFL owner go, I need a new stadium, and the municipality will say, no, we're not building one, not for you, not at those terms, and then they leave, and then they'll say, all right, uh, can we build a new stadium for somebody else now? (laughs) We we don't have NFL football now. And Houston was like, "Uh, no, play in the Astrodome, or you don't get the amount of money, or whatever it was. Well, we're leaving. What? We'll we'll build a new stadium. (laughs) Happens a lot. A lot of layers to the onion, but that's kind of you get motivated at that point. Suddenly the money you didn't have, well, maybe we do have the money. A lot going on with the Florida Gators Collective. The efforts, I'm saying. In direct contrast to not only the efforts, the money, the headlines, the on-field results going on out 10 in Tallahassee, that that the what is the battle's end? There are a few collectives that we know the name of. That's one of them. Why? Because Keon Coleman said I'm available, and they said we'll purchase you. And you know what? They hit. He's the one that convinced Keon Coleman is the one that convinced me. I am no longer giving my limited name, image, likeness resources to a 17 year old getting fitted for a prom tux. I'm giving it to Keon Coleman, who looks like he stepped off the set of Georgia Championship Wrestling. He looks like a grown man going against the 20-year-old accounting major some Saturdays. That's And he showed up, flew in for the games in Tallahassee. Folks, he got there. When was it? August? Middle August? He's in Tallahassee for three and a half months. Made his all-conference team. Got his name, image, likeness money. Took off. You know what? In the adult, we're all grown reality of 2023 college football, Florida State, the kid, everybody won. Michigan State won because they didn't have the money for him anyway, and they got the scholarship freed up. Heath, how's your Thursday? Well, it's interesting Thursday, Chuck. A lot going on. Um, I would not have guessed when we started the show here that I would be bringing up anything tying into women's basketball. But uh, there is something that's come down here in the last hour that I think is interesting for what it says about the future of the sport. The NCAA, Chuck, has announced a new deal with ESPN that is worth $115 million per year, and this is the whole championship bundle of everything the NCAA does. Remember, of course, the NCAA has no direct role no. in running college football other than the lower-level championships, FCS, Division II. ESPN keeps the rights to those things. All the other championships that are not the men's basketball tournament they keep the rights to all of it. There have been a lot of speculation, particularly that the women's tournament with the growth in that sport maybe would get broken out and have its own deal like basketball on the men's side does. Doesn't happen. $115 million. But, Chuck, the part that's got me interested is that number. Eight years. That means that now ESPN and the NCAA are in business till 2032. 
That's also when the CBS Turner deal with the NCAA for the men's tournament ends is in 2032. And Chuck, you and I have talked about this before. When do some of the key deals come due for the SEC, for the ACC? Not in 2032. It's 2034 for the SEC, 2036 for the ACC. But you've had the Big 12 do a deal that goes to 2030. You've got the Big 10 with a deal. Basically, Chuck, what this is all setting up for, whatever the future of college sports is going to be, when the, when the calendar flips over to the three, that's when we're going to know. It's all coming together. All the deals are off, basically, right at the turn of the next decade. And the fact that they're syncing this up, I think, once again, gives us a pretty clear indication. We got about four or five years of that contract the CFP is going to do. I wonder how long it's going to be. I wonder if that CFP contract is going to be, say, six years, ending in, say, 2032. Uh, This is going to be mighty fascinating to see what we've got in about six years because that's when it's all coming down. And one word that has not really been used yet that, and I'm talking over the last 15 years or so, maybe 12 or so years since expansion and realignment came to be, Heath, I, I think the word that actually should have been being, this is consolidation. This is a consolidation of college football, not an expansion. It's the exact – we talk about conference expansion and realignment. No, I think the conference – like three conferences have expanded. Um, one conference has gone away because, I don't know, the Power Six, the Power Five, the Power Four, the Power Three. Now at this point, the Big 12 is insisting, yeah, we're, we're a power conference. I think it has been consolidation, and I think that it has been – at such a, a Jurassic glacial pace so far intentionally that we haven't even noticed it. We're about to be down to AFC and NFC, and I don't think within the next, what is this, 2024, next seven to ten years, I think that there's going to be a division. It's going to be like one NFL in this part of the country and then a second NFL over here. Yeah, it's it's you could sell me almost anything, honestly, or where we're going. Uh, I don't think anybody believes we're going to have something that's a very familiar structure by the time we get to the 30s. It's just a question of, of who's in charge. Is it a complete breakaway from the NCAA altogether? Because, again, all these schools are the NCAA. It's important to note that. Sometimes we talk about the NCAA like it's some sort of government body or some sort of thing imposed on the schools. They choose to be members of the NCAA. But now the single biggest revenue generator for the NCAA is that basketball contract. If you are the schools looking to form not just a super conference for football, but a super conference or a breakaway NFL-style league for everything, you could negotiate that deal and get out of any existing stuff pretty easily with all known existing contracts right around 2030 to 2034 there. So going to be fascinating to see where we go. Do you agree, or if you don't, let me know, like when that happens, it will be official and blatant. Like, I think it's a lot of stuff has already happened. There's a lag between us knowing. I believe that when that occurs and that division, that split starts happening and it becomes blatant, like Navy, Colorado State, uh, Coastal Carolina, you're out of the football business. Out of the any like Rice is not playing football for the same things that Rice has traditionally at least had a chance to play for. Oh, yeah, there's going to be some point. I mean, obviously right now it's not like you have a great shot of doing something big, but next year Liberty would have been in the playoff. Now, Liberty would have gotten destroyed in the playoff by Georgia, but they would have been in the playoff. And so at the moment there's a door, and, yeah, there's about to be a time where there won't be a door, and who knows, Chuck? Again, there's some people, we talked about it, those NCAA championships, D2, D3, there's some people who really enjoy watching those games on TV and and, and seeing – 
a lower level of athlete, but a different style of strategy, different scenery you don't normally see. There's a lot of people that are excited to watch Montana play for a championship coming up here in the near future. So, yeah, I mean, you could still exist, but you're right. Like it is now with the financial resources plowed into it that's happening now, nah, that's not going to be a thing. Am I making something up? Was the SES championship like located in Chattanooga every year for a while? Yep. Something happened in the Kibbe Dome at some point. Um, I think that's in Idaho, perhaps, or Montana. Uh, there were some locales that did make it interesting. Um, and it was a completely different playoff structure. And it has been going on for a really long time at levels below. I mean, it's like, you know, the National League. Literally, every baseball-playing organization on earth had adopted the DH other than the group that had been playing baseball the longest. Um, you looked at every other level of football above and below just the football at college, the college level that we liked. Everybody above and below, every other league had playoffs. And it took a really, really long time for it to come. So um, there was a lot to like and enjoy. And did a Georgia Southern fan or an App State fan have more fun back in the day making the playoff run? Maybe. Um, then going to the Cure Bowl in Orlando and playing in front of 16,000. Pause. If 16,000. I don't know. There's something about a playoff run. Somebody getting in a van with, like, four of your fraternity brothers and, you know, making a run for it. Um, and you really have lost that. Now you've gained a lot of other things as well. You get to play at Florida or Florida State. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required. 